I've got an idea. No matter what is happening in our lives this morning, let's trust him. No matter what is happening in that little heart of yours this morning, let's trust him. Let's trust Jesus. We can do that, right? Has he ever failed us? Has he ever failed you? Nope. So we can trust him today right now because he is trustworthy. But that's not how the nation of Israel felt after they sinned their way out of their homeland. They turned away from the Lord and began worshiping other gods. And note those words, they turned away from the Lord and they went after other gods. And so when they ended up as slaves in exile in Babylon, who did they blame? Did they look in the mirror and accept responsibility? Nope. They blamed the Lord. They blamed Yahweh. And they thought he had abandoned them. That's what is happening in Isaiah's third servant song that we will be looking at today. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50. We're on number three of the four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. And what we'll see today is the Lord, Yahweh, actually replying to something that the nation of Israel put on Facebook. He's going to comment on something that they posted on Facebook. So let's look at what they said. It's actually in Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah 49 verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord Yahweh has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. So remember everything that we looked at last week in Isaiah chapter 49, we stopped at verse 13 where Isaiah told us that the Lord comforts his faithless people and he has compassion on them. Well, verse 14, the very next verse is how the nation responded to Isaiah saying that the Lord comforts his people when they turn away from him. This is what they tweeted out. They said, God has forsaken us. He has forgotten us. We're on our own. We're all alone. Hashtag abandoned. Hashtag forgotten. And so the Lord responds to this accusation and he fills in the next three and a half chapters of Isaiah responding to his people all the way to the end of chapter 52 where Isaiah will begin his fourth servant song. But today we're going to be looking at the third servant song and it is smack dab in the middle of the Lord's three and a half chapter response to his people accusing him of abandoning them. So Isaiah chapter 50, beginning in verse 1, and hear the word of the Lord. Thus says Yahweh, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. 
And so here's what's happening here. The nation of Israel thinks the Lord has abandoned them. They think that he divorced them and sold them to his creditors. And Now, these rhetorical questions imply that they're accusing the Lord of divorcing his wife, Zion, or the nation of Israel, and then selling his children, the Israelites, into slavery in order to pay off a debt. And so the nation is saying to the Lord, you divorced our mother and you sold us, your children, to your creditors. Well, then the Lord responds by challenging the nation to bring incriminating evidence against him. Now, the Lord does admit that he did send the Israelites into slavery to Babylon, but it was because of their sin, not because of some debt that he owed So Yahweh says that if he did sell them to a creditor, if you will, they ought to be able to point out the creditor to the Lord, but they can't. And it isn't because the Lord is fickle that he sent the nation away. It's precisely because the nation was fickle in their love and devotion that they ended up being sent away to exile. But understand, and Isaiah is really hammering this home in this section. Through all of this, understand the Lord is being faithful to his covenant. He has not abandoned his people. He has not divorced them. He did send them into exile to Babylon because they abandoned him. But then the Lord comes in in this section in Isaiah to reassure the nation that though they are in exile, his hand is not too short to save them. Over and over again throughout Isaiah and throughout the entire Bible, God is constantly reassuring his people. He always comes to reassure his fickle people. And that's good news for people like us. And here in Isaiah, he reassures his people that he has power. He says, I can dry up a river with one word just like that. And so he says, I'm ready and willing to redeem you out of slavery. I'm powerful. I created the universe. I paint the sky black every single night. I have power. I can save you. And it's true for us today as well. God is both ready and willing to meet us with his saving power this Advent season, no matter where we are at in our lives. That means then, if we stop being reluctant, if we stop blaming God for everything that's happening in our lives, and we step forward in the eagerness and the anticipation of repentance and faith, He is ready to meet us. He is ready to save us, just like Israel, from the mess that we have created. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today, right now, in the middle of your Christmas shopping, in the middle of the hustle and bustle of the holidays, do you believe that God is ready and willing to meet with you and to save you? You can. You can trust your Heavenly Father today, right now, even if you have made a mess of your life. He is always good to you. He does not abandon His children no matter how terrible they are. 
But why do we, like Israel, hang on to our resentments? Why do we hold our accusations when we start accusing God of things? Why do we hold these accusations so close to our hearts? Why are we angry with God? What has he done wrong? Isaiah tells us that the Lord is powerful, that Yahweh's arm is not too short to save. In other words, he's saying God saves sinners. And he is willing to save you from your little kingdom of self. His hand is not too short. He can dry up rivers just like that. He's just waiting on you to say, okay, I'll trust you. He's just waiting for that. So why not open up during Advent and let him come into your life and flex his muscles on your behalf? He's powerful. Will you welcome him this Christmas? Listen, if we aren't experiencing his power in our lives, if we aren't walking in gospel freedom, it isn't because of reluctance on God's part. Jesus is ready and willing to meet us with his saving power this Advent season. And his power will come rushing in if we dare look at what lies in all of our hearts. That's no fun, is it? Israel wasn't willing to do this. Instead of looking into the mirror and owning up to their sin, they decided to blame everything on God. They started accusing God and blaming Him for all of their problems. But notice, as the Lord is answering His people, suddenly another voice breaks in here in Isaiah. Someone interrupts. Who is it? It's the servant. The servant of Isaiah 42 and the servant of Isaiah 49 now chimes in as the servant of Isaiah 50. Look at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And so the Lord is dealing with all of these accusatory Facebook comments from the nation of Israel when suddenly a single voice cuts in. Someone leaves a comment in Israel's post. Whose voice is it? It's the servant. It's Jesus. It's the servant who interjects here. He speaks about how God is faithful and how he, as the servant, never sinned and yet he suffered for it. The nation of Israel has been complaining and accusing God. And God told them that they were suffering in exile because of their sin. And now the servant chimes in and says that he never sinned and yet he suffers for Israel's sin. He speaks out in verse 7 about how his back was whipped. Jesus tells us in verse 7 how he was beaten, how they ripped chunks of hair out of his beard, how they spat in his face. And so some 700 plus years before Jesus experiences what he describes here, the prophet Isaiah told us that, that this would happen. 
And so how was Jesus able to endure such suffering? Well, we know from the Gospels that he was beaten, he was whipped, he was ridiculed, he was mocked, and yes, they even yanked chunks of his beard off of his face. How in the world did he endure? He tells us in verses 4 and 5 that he opened his ear to God's word. He says, morning by morning, you awaken me. Morning by morning, Jesus got alone in prayer with his Father in heaven He humbled himself, and his father spoke to him. And I'm sure Jesus even read Isaiah's prophecy too. Think about that. He read these very words about himself. And this strengthened Jesus so that he could suffer in our place. Here in Isaiah's third servant song, he tells us that the servant was a good listener. The nation of Israel had a hearing problem. They weren't listening to God's word, and it cost them dearly. They went into exile. But the servant of the Lord was a good listener. He had an ear constantly open to God's word. I mean, if there was ever a time when someone might say, God has forsaken me. And listen, no one can or should ever say that. No one should ever say, God has forsaken me. No one should ever blame God for anything. But... If there ever was a time when someone might say, God has forsaken me because of their circumstances, because of what they are enduring, because it's so dark, would it not be the servant here in Isaiah 50? He's beaten, spit on, had his beard ripped out, and yet he never accuses God. Oh, and by the way, he's sinless too. He never blames God. He never did anything wrong in his life. Jesus never did anything wrong in his life. And he never blamed God for doing anything wrong in his life. But what does Israel do? They accuse God. And yet it was their sin that landed them in exile. But Jesus was perfect. And he never sinned. And he went through hell on earth. And yet he never accused his father of any wrongdoing. Amazing. I mean, what a savior. I can guarantee you if somebody spit in my face, I would sin. I might end up in jail. People spat in his face and he loved them. Amazing. What a savior. I get stuck in L.A. traffic when we go down to L.A. and I'm ready to blame God. My belief in providence and sovereignty is strong. God is sovereign. And you are responsible for this traffic. You bring suffering into my life and I start accusing and complaining. I may not do it out loud, but in my heart, deep down, there's a secret room that if you were to crack open that door, you would find me grumbling against God. In my heart, sometimes I am secretly angry with God and I blame him for the troubles that come my way. And yet Jesus, who endured incredible suffering, trusted his Father and never once grumbled. How? Isaiah tells us he had the word of God every morning. He was helped by his Father. And one reason he endured all this is so that he can support the weary, so that he can support us, people who grumble in secret dark rooms in their heart. Jesus went through hell on earth so that he could help you in your own version of hell on earth. 
which might be L.A. traffic. But notice how the Lord enabled Jesus to speak words of comfort. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Literally, it's the tongue. He's given me the tongue of a disciple. That's the Hebrew word. He's given me the tongue of a disciple. Which tells us that the hallmark of a disciple is one who listens to God's word. Jesus specializes in comforting weary sinners. He can speak a word that sustains the weary. This is why Jesus came, to comfort the weary And this is exactly what Israel needed to hear as they moaned and groaned in exile in Babylon. Yahweh was telling them that he could comfort them and he could sustain them in their suffering as they experienced hell on earth in Babylon. Even when they, even when we suffer the consequences of our sins and when we readily admit that it's all our fault, Jesus still knows how to sustain us with his word. The servant of Isaiah 50 knows that it is hard for us to trust the Lord so daringly. He knows that we're broken sinners. He knows it's hard for us to just be so daringly trustful of God. And so he comes to us to sustain us with his word. I mean, it's one thing for a friend to tell you to trust the Lord. Here, the servant, Jesus, he's calling you to trust the Lord. Jesus is telling you, trust the Lord. He's telling us that Yahweh is reliable. And Jesus knows this, number one, and this is kind of big, because he's God, (laughs) he knows. And number two, because in his first advent, his first coming, He came to know this on an experiential level in his humanity. As a human being, he learned that he could trust his Father. And so he's speaking to us today, and he's saying, Hey, you can trust God. I know from experience. I walked through darkness for 33 years. I didn't have it easy. And I trusted my father. And you can trust your father too. Your big brother is speaking to you this morning, Christian. He's saying, hey, you can trust dad. You can trust our dad. He's faithful. He will take care of us. And what was the context of Jesus learning to trust his father? Total hell on earth. He was beaten His bare back was whipped ferociously. His beard was yanked out. He was slapped, punched, spit on, and mocked and ridiculed. And the sovereign Lord helped him. In fact, two times Jesus tells us here in verse 7 and verse 9 that God helped him. So who are you going to trust today? Your idols? Your own heart? Or the servant who was tortured and endured hell on earth and yet was sustained by God. I don't know about you, but this Advent, I'm putting my trust in the servant of Isaiah 50. He may be missing chunks out of his beard, but I'm going to trust him. He may have other people's spit running down his face, but I'm going to trust him. 
I'm going to trust this Advent, the servant of Isaiah 50. And you can too. There's something else that's very comforting here in verse 4. Various scholars have suggested that verse 4 can be translated this way. So that I know how to respond kindly to the weary. I like that. Respond kindly. Jesus said, God has given me this, the, the, an ear to listen and the tongue of a disciple so that I know how to respond kindly to the weary. Respond kindly. It sounds like the Jesus I know. If Jesus had a business card, it would say, kind responder. He responds kindly to the weak and the weary. And that might be just what you need most for Christmas this year. To hear that Jesus responds kindly to you in your suffering, whatever you're going through. And he even responds kindly when you sin. Really? He responds kindly when his children sin? Yep. As Michael Reeves says, in all his glorious holiness in heaven, Christ is not sour towards his people. If anything, his capacious heart beats more strongly than ever with tender love for them. And in particular, two things stir his compassion. Our afflictions and almost unbelievably, our sins. Incredible. We can stop right there, can't we? We got a lot of time left. You can stop right there. What a Savior. He's so kind to us. He always comes to reassure us. I was reading in Isaiah 54, 7 yesterday, and I saw this. It says, um, with, in the middle of this, this big chunk where God's trying to reassure and comfort his people, he says, with deep compassion, I will bring you back. What kind of compassion? Deep compassion, deep ones, plural, deep compassions. I will bring you back home. God is not saying, I'll bring you home, but I'll say, but he's not saying it this way. Finally, it's about time you repented. Jeesh, I'm waiting 70 years here for you people. He doesn't, deep compassions, plural, I will bring you home. It's how he brings us home when we repent. He's so kind to us. I love the servant of Isaiah 50. He is infinitely holy and infinitely glorious, and yet he is not sour towards his people. In fact, if anything, his capacious heart beats more strongly with tender care when we suffer, and yes, amazingly, even when we sin. Wow, I mean, the gospel really is good news. Jesus knows how devastating sin is. He knows the sickness that Adam unleashed in this world. That's really the zombie apocalypse right there. As soon as that juice was dribbling down Adam's chin, the zombie apocalypse started. Jesus knows how devastating the sickness is that Adam unleashed into this world. And so he comes with tender care to handle the bruised reeds and the flickering wicks who are suffering and plagued with sin. Now listen, that doesn't mean that Jesus approves of our sin. He doesn't approve of our sinful lifestyle. 
He doesn't approve of our sinful belief system if we say, I know your word says this, but I think this. Jesus does not approve of that. He hates our sin. But he loves us. And he's kind to sinners who are struggling with this deep down sickness. And if they will just open up the empty hands of faith, he says, I will bring you home with deep compassions. One of my theological heroes, R.C. Sproul, who died two years ago yesterday, this is what his gravestone says. It says, R.C. and Vesta, his wife, she's still alive, but it says, R.C. and Vesta, Sproul, and under his name it says, he was a kind man redeemed by a kinder Savior. And you have the same kind Savior, Christian. And so are you smack dab in the middle of the consequences of your sin today? Have you totally messed up and you will readily admit, hey, it's my fault. I'm here because I made choices. Will you let Jesus comfort you today? Will you let the Isaiah 50 servant come and sustain you with a word? And it may, the word may be, forsake your sin and I will strengthen you. And I will transform you. He will respond kindly to you this morning, but you have to have an ear that listens to him and says, okay, you win. Your word is right. I'm being an idiot and thinking this way. I will humbly bow myself before you. You paint the sky black every night. What did I do today? I made pancakes. Okay, you win. Understand this, when we let Jesus comfort us, when we open ourselves up and allow him to kindly minister to us, we're actually sinking up with him and sinking up with his purpose of why he came. So that means when we rehearse the gospel and when we preach the gospel to ourselves, which we like to say here at Grace, it's not just some theory. When we rehearse the gospel, we're meeting Jesus again. We're experiencing his kind response. When we preach the gospel to ourselves, we're connecting with a person, with Jesus, and he's handing us his business card that says, kind responder. It's not an exercise. It's not merely a spiritual discipline. We're actually connecting with a person, a real person. Flesh, blood, bone. Right now, flesh, blood, bone. When we rehearse the gospel, we are sinking our hearts up with the servant of Isaiah 50 and we experience his tender heart. So even if you're going through some kind of hell on earth right now, part of God's purpose is that you would come to know his heart in the middle of that darkness, that you would love him as you go through that suffering and pain, not become bitter not blame him, but that your heart would crack open to him and he would fill it with his love and you would get to know him better. So anytime God's word comes to us and comforts us, we're encountering the servant of Isaiah 50. Anytime we hear a sermon and our hearts are lifted up to God, we're encountering the servant of Isaiah 50. Anytime a friend shares a verse from the Bible with us, we're encountering the servant of Isaiah 50. He knows how to sustain the weary 
with a word. He knows how to respond kindly to broken sinners. So are you weary today? Just worn out? We're 10 days away from Christmas. Really? We always get to this time every year and I'm like, oh, where did it go? I started listening like October 1 to Christmas music and I'm still, but once December hits, it's like, where did it go? Where did October and November go? We're 10 days away from Christmas. This is usually when we start getting weary and Jesus wants to meet you today and speak a word to you that will sustain you in whatever it is that you are going through. Are you exhausted? Are you plumb tuckered out already? Let the servant of Isaiah 50 take you by the hand and speak a sustaining word to you. It's his specialty. What do you need Jesus to speak to you today? Do you feel condemned and hammered with shame over your sin? Are you tired from trying to be good enough and always measure up and yet you fail? Do you live with this vague sense of God's disapproval like he's always sour towards me? If that's you, then welcome your Savior's kindness this morning. Do you kind of feel sheepish bringing your needs before him when you've just failed him and sinned really bad? Do you think maybe... I've used up all of my credit of forgiveness. I can't come and ask again for that. Do you struggle to see yourself as blameless in God's eyes? Welcome your Savior's kindness this morning. Do you fear the day may not go as well as expected because you missed your quiet time? Uh Uh-oh. Do you assume that you can do something to make him love you more or less? Welcome your kind Savior today. Rehearse the gospel and experience the kindness of Jesus. And here's his kindness on full display in Isaiah. He died for you because of your sin. He had his back whipped, his beard pulled out. He was spit on for you. That's kindness. So whatever's going on in that little heart of yours this morning, let's trust him. We can do that, right? Let's trust him. Let's take him at his word. To trust in Jesus is to find security in Him, to feel secure, to feel confident in His love. And it doesn't matter what the size of your faith is, so long as that faith is in Jesus. It might even look like, I believe, help my unbelief. It's the person you trust in that matters, not the size of the faith of the person who is doing the trusting. It's Jesus that is crucial. It's who you are trusting in that makes all the difference in the world. And so justification by faith, being declared righteous and being blameless in God's eyes is through faith, by faith, but not on account of it as if our faith saves us. Our faith connects us to Jesus, but it's who we are connected to through faith that Jesus, Jesus is the one that saves us. We see songs to Jesus on Sunday morning, not to our faith, right? Now, interestingly, the Hebrew word for trust, batak, that we'll see in verse 10 in a moment, it's related to an Arabic verb that means to throw oneself down on one's face. The idea is that you, you lie down spread eagle in complete reliance. It's the same word that's used in that famous proverb, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In other words... 
Trust, throw yourself down on your face and rest in the Lord with all of your heart. Lie down, spread eagle, resting in Yahweh with all of your heart. That's the idea. Isaiah is calling you to trust in Jesus with everything. He's calling on you and me to trust in Jesus with everything that shames us, with everything that terrifies us, with everything that holds us back. He's telling us that true freedom comes when we let our full weight fall down on Jesus. And that's what we all need more than anything during Advent. To lie down, spread eagle, resting in Jesus with all of our hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus did in his first Advent. He trusted his Father. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2, he kept continually entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When they pulled out his beard, he trusted in his father because his father judges justly. When they spat in his face, he trusted in his father because his father judges justly. So being scared and helpless and frail and hopeless takes you to Jesus, which is where the nation of Israel should have run. Instead of accusing God, they should have run to him with their heart pain. Instead of accusing God this morning, you need to run to God with your heart pain. Let being despondent take you to Jesus. Let your feeling overwhelmed take you to Jesus. All of these situations and circumstances that we fear and that we dread are actually what usher us to Jesus if we let them. This is the pathway home, Grace. When you find yourself in these places, you open your eyes, you open the eyes of faith, and you discover that Jesus is there. He always has been there. So why not trust the one who loves you even more than you love you? And you do love you a lot. And I love me a lot. But Jesus loves us more, if you can believe that. Look at verse 7. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Jesus' trust was in his Father. He knew the Spirit of God was helping him accomplish his mission. He knew that even though he would be ridiculed and mocked, he would be vindicated. He knew that though he would die a shameful death on the cross for our sins, he would not be put to shame. The Lord would vindicate him. The Lord was near. The Lord was with him. And so Jesus says here, any of my enemies, you want to do this? Let's go. Let's get in the octagon. That's why he says in these verses, who wants to contend with me? Let's stand together. Where's my adversary? Come on near. Jesus says, who wants to contend with me? Let's go toe-to-toe then. Anyone? Anyone? Who wants to fight with me? Let's get in the ring. Anyone? Anyone? Who wants to say that I'm guilty? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Here's what the servant was saying to Israel. 
who brought all these accusations against the Lord. If anyone wants to go toe-to-toe with Yahweh, they will wear out like a garment and moths will eat them up. So the servant tells us like it is, you can't fight God and win. But those who turn to the servant, those who step forward in the eagerness and the anticipation of repentance and faith, they will find the most compassionate, caring person that they could ever dream of in Jesus. Look at verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Here's that Hebrew word, betak, to trust. And so to trust in the name of the Lord means we trust in his character. We trust in who he is, what we know about him. And if we know Yahweh's character, if we know who he is in his word, then we'll trust him. That's why Jesus trusted his heavenly father. God's word came to him every morning. He had an ear open, constantly listening to God's word. And so if we know God's character that we read about in his word, then we'll trust him. Do you know him? Do you really know Jesus? Read the Bible, and you will find yourself being drawn to Jesus. Listen, we trust what we are drawn to. That's why Isaiah is telling us about the servant. He wants us to see Jesus and be drawn to him so that we trust him. And Jesus was drawn to his Father in heaven, therefore he trusted him. We trust what we are drawn to. What are you drawn to this morning? What idol are you drawn to that you are putting all your hope in? Oh, if just this happens, then I'll finally be happy. Oh, Lord, then then I'm all in for you if this happens. What idol do you want so bad? You're thinking, this will give me the happiness I'm looking for. It won't. You know why? Because you will take your sinful heart into that situation and you'll be like, oh, it doesn't satisfy. Idol! There's another idol. You'll just bounce from idol to idol to idol. What idol are you drawn to? What fantasy in your mind and in your heart is pulling you in and you believe, pulling you in and you're believing it will bring you the happiness you crave and so now you're trusting in it. You put your, your spread eagle in that situation. If I get that, I'll be happy. Isaiah tells us here, if we tried to walk by the light of our own fire, if we tried to do life apart from God, if we stiff-arm Jesus, he says, you'll lie down in torment. You'll lie down in pain. In other words, if we trust our own wisdom, we'll suffer. And God is so loving and kind, he tells us here, hey, you want to walk by the light of your own torch, you will lie down in torment and pain. You're going to be miserable. Or you can look to my servant, and be free. God is so kind to us. He just says, hey, listen, guys. Listen. I'm trying to get through to you, my children. If you walk by the light of your own fire and your own wisdom, you're going to be miserable. Just come on home and, and let's fix this and do this the way it's supposed to be. I love that God is so gentle with us. 
tells us what it's going to be like. The hope of the gospel is that even though we walk in darkness and have no light, even though we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we can trust and rely on God. And isn't that the most sane response? Isn't that the most sane response to trust and rely on God, as Isaiah tells us here? Because which makes more sense? Panic, fear, worry, pacing the floor, tossing and turning in bed at night, no appetite, stressed out, can't eat, chewing our fingernails down until they bleed, or simply trusting Jesus? Which is the more sane response there? Alec Motier said, if the Lord is truly sovereign over all things, then the only reasonable response is to trust him. It is, it is his omnipotence that matters, not our incompetence. Oh, that's good news for me. Man, I read that this week and I was like, thank you, Jesus. It doesn't matter how inept you are. It doesn't matter how incompetent you are. And everybody said, amen to that. That ought to free all of us this morning. If Jesus is omnipotent, if Jesus has all power, who cares if you're incompetent? It ain't riding on you anyway. So go ahead and trust him. Not only does he have all power, but he cares. I mean, that's amazing. So go ahead and trust him. What are you waiting for? Trust him right now with whatever you brought in and dragging your heart, weighing your heart down this morning. Go ahead right now and decide, I'm going to trust him. It's the only reasonable response in this crazy, messed up world that we live in is just to say, I'm going to go with Jesus. I don't know who you guys are going with, but I'm going with him. Trust him. My fellow incompetent friends, let's trust him. And if we do, we might even enjoy the holidays this year. If we trust him, we might actually enjoy the holidays. Let's trust him. And let's close with some good news. If this doesn't make you want to trust him, I don't know what will. Michael Reeves again said, In all his glorious holiness in heaven, Jesus is not sour towards his people. If anything, his capacious heart beats more strongly than ever with tender love for them. And in particular, two things stir his compassion, our afflictions and almost unbelievably our sins. Your afflictions right now, what you're experiencing, are stirring compassionate, tender heart of Jesus and your sins that you're struggling with and trying to fight and put to death are stirring the tender, compassionate heart of Jesus. He's calling you home. He's calling me home today with deep compassions, plural. Believe that and trust that that is true for you right now. He's not sour towards you, Christian. His tender heart beats for you today. Let's welcome him. Jesus, we do welcome you. 
We're a mess. We admit that. We suffer. And rightly so, we don't like it. But it is a part of being in this fallen world. But where we go wrong, Jesus, is that we grumble and complain and maybe secretly somewhere deep in our heart we blame you for our suffering. And we sin, Jesus. You know that and we know that. And yet, your capacious heart beats for us because you know what Adam did to this world. And you know what you did and what you're going to do to this world when you make it all new again one day. One day, Jesus, because of you, we will never sin again. We will never have impure thoughts. Jesus, you never had an impure thought. And you credit that to us to hold us over until that day when we will never, ever, ever again have an impure thought. So we just simply put our hand over our mouth this morning, Jesus, and we humble ourselves and we lift up the empty hands of faith and we say, if you'll have us, we welcome you. And we thank you that you will have us. All glory to you in this church and in everything that we do, Jesus. It's all for you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen.